Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. I am Brian, with me as always are Zach and Vince. Tonight we're going to talk about the DC Comics released on Halloween. Spooky comics. So if you haven't read those comics yet, pause the show, go back and read them, and then come back. Um, We're going to start with the four, you you heard me right, four Hanna-Barbera DC crossovers. That would be Deathstroke, Yogi Bear, Green Lantern, Huckleberry Hound, um... What we got here? Uh, Nightwing, McGilla Gorilla, and Superman Top Cat. So, boys, I have a hot take to begin the show. Ready? I can't wait. These are the. This is the best batch of these DC and something else crossover books we've gotten so far. Um. Like, as a whole, as 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 a set of four, this is the best set we've had. I'll last take week, your word la- for it because I don't remember any of the previous ones. Uh, you don't remember Multiversity's <laughs> book of the year last year that Tom King had written Batman I, on the Flood? Uh, no lie, I, I still haven't read that <laughs> because I was in Japan when that came out and still haven't read it. Last week, I had the best colonoscopy I've ever had. <laughs> uh, something, something G-spot. Um can you can you imagine? I just want I just want to pose this question. Can you imagine buying all four of these comics just so that you could read the Secret Squirrel back up? <laughs> well, I will say I I read like one page of that, and I saw an editor's note that said like see recent <laughs> issues of Super Apocalypse, and I went nope, and I didn't read a single page past that. Wow. You missed, you missed uh, Secret Squirrel fucking, man. The, the crossover goes so deep. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I hate that that editorial box exists. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad it saved me the time of reading that piece of shit comic, but, you know, I mean, I presume a piece of shit comic. I don't know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Secret Squirrel fucks, okay. though. Well, that's good to know. There's there's like several uh, penis innuendo uh, jokes like, made. Like Austin Powers level penis innuendos. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where like the gun, the the gun is the pe- the gun is his penis. The hammer is my penis. Okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Nice. Um, I don't know, Brian. I don't know if I can go there with you because these are just so. All right, so, so here's what I'll say. Okay, just looking at them, sort of from a real far away, not getting too in the weeds with this. The Mark Russell, Green Lantern, Huckleberry Hound was fine. was fine. I ex- I expected it to be better than it was. Um, I, I think I expected it to be nothing. So I was, I was fine with what it was. I think there's some legitimately funny stuff in the Superman Top Cat book. I think the whole Kalians thing and how it's, you know, it's, look, it's, it's not going to win an Eisner, but it's fine. <laughs> You know, it's 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 just gonna win multiverse. Yeah, exactly. Yes. It's just win the multiversity book of the year again. Uh, but no, you know, th- there were some some halfway decent jokes in there. Um, Nightwing McGilla Gorilla could have been much worse. And uh, I can barely remember what happened in Deathstroke Yogi Bear. Yeah, 
But none of them. I, I, oh. I feel like in years past, one of the books has been offensively bad each time, and I feel like none of these were offensively bad. I mean, maybe that's that's fine. I okay. uh, I really I yeah I I'll agree with you that the Green Lantern one wasn't as good as it maybe should have been or could have been. But man. As far as like a John Stewart vehicle, it was pretty nice. It kind of hits all the John Stewart beats too. Like it has the Marine Corps, it has architecture, it has his notorious sense of guilt. You know, like all of that is kind of there. As Cat Matui. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was probably the best one. Um, you guys didn't chuckle at that Dio written uh, Superman dialogue? Not really, no, no. And and I felt like, so for that one, that was probably the one that featured the best art, I think. And yet it still wasn't, it was Shane Davis, right? Yeah. Who's like, kind of thought of as like a near, he's like, he's like near top tier art for DC, I think. They really? put him... They put him on the Earth One when they were trying to launch that. They were launching that with Shane Davis <sighs> art. You know, he was also like fill-in artist for a long time on New Fifty Two stuff. Well, and he, I'm, he he never had like a big book or anything. No, but I feel like that's because he takes a while for some reason. Anyway, what I'm saying is like this is not this is not top Shane Davis art. You know, like I I'm not the biggest Shane Davis fan, but. I have enjoyed his art in other venues, but definitely not here. And and all the book, all the other art across the board here was pretty mediocre. I thought. I mean, all these stories, if nothing else, a DC Hanna Barbera crossover should have fun art, right? But everything is so boring to look at, including the anthropomorphic characters. I would say I, still... I would say the Nightwing McGilla Gorilla had the closest to fun art. Oh, maybe, but but I still I still think they're making a huge, the biggest misstep of this entire thing is the way that they take these Hanna Barbera characters and make them virtually unrecognizable to the characters that you're talking about. You know, Yogi Bear is not Yogi Bear unless he looks like Yogi Bear. I would say Same. again, I'm not trying to be the apologist for this because I really don't give a shit. But I feel like both Top Cat and Magilla Gorilla looked relatively close to their cartoon counterparts. Even then there's something like uh, uncanny Valley about them. Okay. You know, sure. I'm, I'm not going to hammer this point too hard because I've done it on shows past, but like if you're talking about top cat, if I'm going to read a book with top cat in it, I want him to look like the cartoon top cat, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, That's a really good point. That I think, yeah, I I really don't like about these crossover books is when they try to, like, make the cartoon characters look more realistic or something. Yeah, it's it's so weird to it's me. The it's the worst. Yeah, and it's like it's a mandate, too, because because everyone does it. Every artist does it. Look at this. I know I know. People don't like when we do this, but I'm sending you a picture of the boo-boo. <laughs> I, I just sent you another picture. <laughs> yeah, yep, there it is. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Look yeah. Look at that boo-boo. That's creepy as shit, first of all. <laughs> but second of all, that doesn't look like boo-boo except for the bow tie. It's... It... Yeah. Well, stylistically, it could just be so much more interesting or fun. Like, do you remember... You? I mean, there's a good chance you don't, but... <laughs> uh, when Jeff Lemire was riding Bloodshot over at Valiant, you know, oh, yes, he did that thing where there was like a cartoon, yeah, like kid Bloodshot, you know. Oh, what was he called? It was like um, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, but he was like stylistically different than ev- everything else in the book, mm-hmm. and it looked really interesting. Um. And there's no concessions yeah. that DC is making here to try and convince you these are in continuity. So if they're not, mm-hmm. go go all out with them. Be really right. weird. Except yeah. I'm pretty sure that Speed Buggy and the Flash one inspired him to make yes. that Speed Force car in Justice <laughs> League. True. I think that one is in continuity. We have established that as indeed continuity. So... But but there were a couple things that I liked about this. Okay. Um, I I didn't I didn't think the Superman Top Cat book was great. I thought the Nightwing McGilla Gorilla one was the worst, just by being the mo- the most boring. I think. What? I think that was that was the one I have like absolutely nothing to say about. It also centered around trying to make Dick Grayson sign off on the film rights to his parents' death, which is just <laughs> a whole thing to talk about. So classic McGilla plot, though. Yeah. Exactly. Um, McGill Gorilla was known for exploiting the death of innocence, <laughs> so this makes total sense. <laughs> the the Deathstroke. Okay, the the one thing I really liked about the Deathstroke Yogi Bear one was how Slade. Okay, go with me on this. Okay. I like how Slade is basically this like weird like. When I, when I like thinking of Slade as this like retired assassin who who comes back for like one last job where he's going to get paid a lot of money or whatever, that I like to think that and and this book gave off this vibe. I like to think that in his retirement, he's like one of those um, Sammy Hagar, Jimmy Buffett, Cabo Wabo, <laughs> like like uh, Panama Jack guys. Like he just hangs out in bars and he wears like. Hawaiian shirts and shit and and just 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 totally chill. But like in this Hanna-Barbera crossover world, apparently he's studied up and knows everything about the Hanna-Barbera cartoons. Cuz like he he's like in that bar and he's like what what you've never heard of uh <laughs> you know Yogi Bear or whatever, you know, he's like talking to those guys about everything he knows about the Hanna-Barbera people. And I thought that was very fun and silly. See, I think um, that was my least favorite of the books. Oh really? Yeah. I mean, I don't think it was great, but I found some humor in like Slade sitting at the bar sure, being like, sure. uh, you know, you you mean you don't know about Drupalong, <laughs> Deputy Drupalong, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, it, not great or anything. Um, the 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 Green Lantern Huckleberry Hound one. It was nice to see. The John Stewart stuff that was really great, great for him to be a focus. He's my he's my guy. He's my Green Lantern. Um, but I expe- I actually expected Mark Russell to push it a little further, even into into like social commentary slash humor territory. And I just Would found you it say further even even. Uh, 
yeah, yeah. I just expected I expected to laugh a little more, and I expected to be a little more surprised by it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I mean these these weren't a total failure, but. There's just a few. There's just a few things they could do to make them more fun. And again, forty pages is murder. Well, yes, that is certainly true. Like that McGill Gorilla book, I just felt like, holy fuck, this is the longest thing I've ever read. And I read Infinite Jest, and I feel like this is uh, <laughs> this is somehow longer than that. You know, uh, it was just it was brutal. Um, but I still like the McGill Gorilla one better than I liked the uh, the Deathstroke one. I think. Okay. Um, but like, I, I do really think that there was some fun stuff in the the Superman Top Cat one, just like um, so. I guess for those that didn't read the book, so everyone, um, it's uh, like essentially the villain of it is the proprietor of whatever the DC Universe equivalent of Whole Foods is, and how Kale comes from another planet. There are monster, there are aliens made of Kale called Kalians. And they essentially uh, are being like they're they're revolting. They're as tired of being eaten by yuppies, essentially. But there's a line in there where the Kalian is like, "For years, our bitter blandness kept people away from eating us, or whatever." It was just it was it was a funny it was a funny Kale line, and it didn't read to me like whenever someone makes fun of Kale, I feel like that's code word for making fun of liberals, uh-huh. and I didn't feel that this was that necessarily. Like, this wasn't like, ooh, foofy, foofy food. It was just like a funny, you know, I don't know. I thought it was, mm-hmm. I, I thought it was fine. I thought, I thought it had some funny moments to it. Um, you're only saying that because uh, now you're, like, indebted to Dan DiDio with the way that you and Zach debased yourselves in front of him at New York Comic Con. said hello? Where I would have no, I would have no part of that ass-kissing fest that I... We literally just said hello. <laughs> You were just smooching his behind. I was, as I was going to say, but I knew you would be so embarrassed. I'd be like, Dan, I don't want to do this. My friend over there is such a huge fan, but he can't pick up the courage to say hi to you. <laughs> he just come over and say hi to him. I was going to do it, but I was like, Vince will be so mad at me that I can't, I can't do it. So <laughs> I'm a bashful boy. Yeah. And I would have said that your name was uh, Jan Durgens. <laughs> <laughs> My friend Jan here wants you to point at the exactly, camera for it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anything else to say about these uh, future books of the year? Um, no. I'll quit the podcast if if our website votes any of these <laughs> books of the year. Well, we, we did we did change our. Uh, our year in review stuff for this year to avoid that happening again. Uh, Interesting. Well, essentially not, not to pull back the curtain um, too much here, but voter fraud, no, but yeah, this is no, hear, hear me out. gerrymandering of the, <laughs> yeah. so what, of the worst kind. What happened is that because of the way it was listed, we think people thought it had to be a one shot essentially. Uh, oh, for, yeah, it was listed as best one shot or single issue. But we think people just saw it as, like, best one-shot, essentially. So this year, there's a separate best one-shot and best single-issue category. All right. Can we vote for Batman Porky Pig again? Uh, it was Batman Elmer Fudd, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. They were at Porky's Bar. They were at That's Porky's right. Bar, yes. 
I've seen Porky's 27 times this week. Uh, the film? Yeah, that's a Weird Al lyric. Is it? And you call, and you call yourself a from what fan. From what song? I love my cable TV. What album is that on? Uh, Dare to be Stupid. Is it really? I don't, oh, damn. Dude. I love that album, too. I don't remember that song at all. School and the Master. I wouldn't call myself the master. Only Al is the master. <laughs> we are all mere pawns in his game of chess. All right. Anyway, what the fuck are we talking about anymore? Let's talk about Heroes in Crisis number two. Heroes in Diapers. <laughs> Written by Tom King. Illustrated by Clay Mann. And uh, who popped in for a few pages there? Uh, Travis Moore, Travis. I do believe. Yes. Almost said Travis Scott, who is a... Zach's, pro- Zach's problematic fave, Travis Moore. How's that my problematic fave? Isn't he... Wasn't he the... Didn't... didn't wasn't he the one that did some of that uh, Nightwing art you liked so much, or is that somebody he did, else? He did do some Nightwing art. Is he a bad guy? No, I just I I meant it's bad because it's Nightwing. Oh, not, okay, not because okay. of. I'm sure Travis Moore is a lovely person. I didn't mean to imply that. So I meant I meant you were hooting and hollering over that art. Yeah. In a, it was in a good. I liked it. Yeah. So uh, in what will be a theme of this week's conversation, Tom King has no idea who Batman is. <laughs> this issue has at least two moments that are so un-Batman, they're ridiculous. Lay it on us. So the first is, and I know everyone's going to say this is like something that Batman would do, but I really think that Batman would not lie to Superman about having kryptonite in his utility belt. See, and I thought, like, I almost read that initial line as, like, humor, because it's like, it's like he said it, like, I don't have kryptonite in my belt. Like, he clearly has kryptonite somewhere. Right, but but, but, but... I feel like he would tell Superman that. Well, I mean, he's done that many times to where he wouldn't tell him that. In I mean, a, I feel like in that's a not... crisis like this, though, like is he lying to yeah, Superman? That's, you know that's what what I, mean? I feel like in the yeah. moment it was really the fact that he actually did have it in the belt was just like yeah, really... you thought he'd have it in his gloves or some shit because he exactly was like, yeah, because yeah, he was just being coy or you know. Well, that's let me extend let me extend the problem that we're talking about to the rest of this issue. Nobody here is acting like a bunch of heroes died. Like, Except yeah, they're investigating. Well, yes, he's overreacting. By the way, I don't um, know if he's overreacting. He, I think he thinks I, Booster Gold think, killed his his like nephew. I know, but I I think it's so over the top. Part of my problem is that the emotions are so underplayed or overplayed when you're talking about Tom King. Yeah, that's fair. Because there's there's not a moment that goes by where Barry's not like, well, we're all superheroes and we've seen a lot of weird shit. Can you explain what's going on? You know what I mean? Like, it's it's from zero to twenty, and I and like what you're saying is true, Brian. Like, okay, I don't I don't necessarily think he's overreacting. But in the context of Tom King's story and everything else we're seeing, none of these other heroes, like, like Booster's Booster just witnessed apparently the murder of a bunch of heroes, and he's cracking jokes with Skeets like it's nothing. Yep. 
Well, that's and Tom King booster gold like to a T. So. Absolutely, and it sucks <laughs> ass. And and you've got the Trinity who are not cracking jokes, but they're like they're doing pithy Tom King dialogue while they're autopsying this guy, and and it just again they seem like these cold aliens who are not. This this is not the Trinity I know. You know what I mean? I, mean, I agree completely. Yeah. It it feels like the emotions are all over the place in either too far underplayed or too too ramped up. That tonal tonally this thing is all over the place. Yeah. It's probably the event comic with the most jokes and like or like what what what's supposed to be funny what's supposed to be joking that i can remember reading that also has a bunch of murders <laughs> that's also that's also supposed to be about how heroes deal with violence and you know what i mean none of it none of it registers as it's not taking parts of it seriously when it should and and other parts of it are just it, it is baffling tone wise to me to read this. It's funny. So, uh, a friend of the show, Walter Richardson, and I were talking about this book a lot recently. The first issue, not this issue. And he said that he's convinced the reason that fans really enjoy this book, and like if you look at Comic Book Roundup, like it is, it is very well reviewed, the first issue, is that fans care more about plot than anything else. And that, like, to them, the plot is cool, and it doesn't matter how it's executed, the plot is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even think well, that, I, but I, I know what I you're I don't saying. think the plot is cool at all, but I think that, you know, for the, for the fan that wants the dark, more gritty superhero comic, sure, I can see that. But like, to me, there are so many things in this issue that are like bordering on being a laughable joke that I can't believe it's actually in a comic. Like Citizen Steel is killed by having chattering teeth shoved down his throat. How fucking dumb is that? It's pretty dumb. It's really dumb. Um I also think it's it's interesting that not interesting. That's totally the wrong word. Stupid. I can't imagine like, the, you know talking about the Trinity being aliens in this. It, that's a perfect way to describe it, Vince. Can you imagine the Trinity not telling the other members of the Justice League that there were murders at Sanctuary? Doesn't that seem totally antithetical to who those characters are? Like if characters were dead, wouldn't they bring in Mr. Terrific to do an autopsy? Or somebody, you know, or any of the, the number of, you know, you know, like, uh, in, in we're going to talk about an issue in a little while, it talks about the Justice League's, like, science team. Like, wouldn't they call in those people? It just seems like these are characters that wouldn't keep a secret, and this whole book is about the secrets they keep from everybody. It just seems completely off from how these characters have been traditionally portrayed, and they're not more interesting because of the secret. It just makes them worse people. 
Yeah. That's extremely well God, said. This book sucks. It's not good. Zach, you've said very little. What do you have to think about this? What do you think about this? I book? really like don't have very much to say um outside of the things that have already been said. Um I yeah, I did the, uh, Well, I guess there's a big thing that we haven't talked about. Um this issue rather like unceremoniously, unceremoniously reveals that uh, Poison Ivy is dead. Yeah, I guess so. I the the with with every page, I get the feeling this is going to be less and less impactful after it's over. Yeah, and you know I'm. I'm totally fine with that. In fact, I I kind of I'd prefer it that way, but you know, one would hope that then it was more like the book that we were told that it was going to be, you know? Mm. I still don't two issues in, I still don't get any sense that it is about the way that heroes deal with this shit, you know? It's not showing it does these it does these interview segments that are it's supposed to make you say like uh Holy shit, Batman crying? <laughs> you know, like it like that is supposed to wow you, but there's nothing really in here about how they deal with it or like what one would hope, one would hope that uh you know, were you to write a book about the way that heroes deal with their friends dying or their or the trauma of being a hero and witnessing violence all the time? or being put in these stressful situations that there was some good faith effort meant to be a bridge to some sort of discussion about mental health. Not in any, like, obviously it's problematic to say like what happens to these heroes in a comic book is equitable to what we go through in our, with our own behavioral health in real life. But there's not even like, except for in interviews outside of the book, there's not even lip service being paid to that. You know what I mean? There's no legitimate bridge to, well, heroes go through similar things and this is how they would deal with it. Or here's a, you know, maybe it's Superman has the one line near the end of the book, which I think is kind of goofy, but like he says something about what if, what if, what if all these doubts that we have or these feelings that we have got out, you know? Right. Well, maybe maybe that's a good thing if they did. Like that's that is a legitimate discussion you could have about like maybe this stigma that Superman is feeling is something that real people feel, and and you know maybe 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 in the next seven issues or however many you know ninety nine issues or whatever this is going to at this point, um, maybe that is something King will come around on, but like if there were some bridge that, that made you realize, Oh yes, this is actually about that. But, but again, two issues in, it just feels like it's about a bunch of murders and then having Harley and booster be as goofy as they can about it. Well, you know, what I was going to say is like, if you look at the way that it's portrayed, the other heroes of the DC universe, or I guess all the characters went to them with this tragedy, you either become a shitty robot like the Trinity or you joke about it like Booster Gold, or you give in to your most psychotic 
tendencies like Harley Quinn, or you get hyper emotional and overreact like the Flash. Like I don't think any of those are necessarily reactions that can be praised for their nuance or for their app or their uh, applicability to day to day life. I just don't see that. Well, you just you just made you just made this issue seem a lot better than it actually is because by explaining it that way, you could argue that those are to, all totally reasonable reactions to have, and yet the issue that you hold in your hands is just totally all over the place and feels ser- silly, you know. But okay, I guess to me that they don't seem like natural reactions because they're all the most extreme version of those things like sure i, yeah, I, I, exactly. I am sure that yes. the people do go through all of these emotions but they all happen within the context of actual human beings whereas mm-hmm. all of these examples are the the most laughable extremes of those situations yes and it's making the that that is what's making the book tonally like a car crash yeah, to me. And the other thing I'll say is, what's with Superman saying that Harley is good as good as you? Yep, <laughs> Batman. That seems like a dig. Right. Like, well, again, like, I, I, again, I can't figure out what King is intending there because, like, is it? Does he really mean that Harley Quinn is as good as Batman is at like anything? You know, skillful. Yeah. I mean, she could, she could be. She could be, but like, I, it does, she is. I, she's a smart lady. Yeah, I'm not saying she's not. I'm not. I'm not saying like like no way is she as good as Batman because I'm like, I'm not the biggest Batman fan in the world. Headline but I'm saying tomorrow: that's just a, Multiversity podcaster uh, says Harley Quinn cannot be as good as Batman because she's a woman. Because she's a woman. Yeah. No, no. What I'm saying is that's a very weird thing for. Superman to say in this moment, isn't it? Every line in this book is a is a is a weird thing to say. No one talks normally at any point. Well, and that Diana says, "Boy is not the time." So, like, there is a sense that that it is a dig, which is a weird thing for Cal. That's what I meant. It's a weird thing for Cal to do at this moment in time. Again, nobody is acting like a bunch of people just died. Nor is he acting much like like Batman is his friend. Yeah. <laughs> or that they're in this together right. and like God and, damn. And isn't that and, isn't that said expressly while they're contemplating if Harley will break his neck or not? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is that again, let's let's talk about the Superman scene at the end where he's doing the interview. The this idea that Okay, this the stuff about him be, be ra- being raised as Clark and then becoming Superman and then having to create Clark as a disguise. All of that part stuff is valid. Sure. But then tw- then towards the end where he's talking about how talking about his insecurities is embarrassing and that he can never talk about it like this and he can't. That to me does not sound like no. Superman who was raised Clark Kent. That is not the Superman who, and I I know literally it's not, it's a different continuity, but like, that's not the Superman that hugs, uh, you know, somebody who's out on a ledge. 
uh, and tells them that you're stronger than you know what yeah. I mean. It's not that this is again this is a weird stiff stoic alien Superman who doesn't carry with him any of those human feelings that he got from being raised by the Kent or whatever you know. It it, it again this is this isn't a Superman I recognize, at least not. I don't know. You know what I'm saying, yeah. though? Like, yeah, definitely. So now that we're two issues into this, and as Zach pointed out, we're kind of told offhandedly that Poison Ivy is also dead. Is the death count the biggest indicator that this isn't going to stick? That just this many characters were killed off-panel and, you know without any real reason, is that the biggest indicator that this is all going to be retconned away? I guess, yeah. I mean, look, Citizen Steel is not going to set off anyone's alarms, I don't think. You know, I don't <laughs> remember. I think the last time Citizen Steel was really used was in James Robinson's Earth 2 run. And that was a different continuity, you know? So it's not like that's a beloved character everyone's going to be missing. But to, to have... Wally and Roy and Poison Ivy all killed. And, you know, and we've been, you know, hinted at that it's possibly a Green Lantern as well being killed. That just seems like a lot of casualties for an event that doesn't seem like it's going to stick around that much. I don't know. Well, you would think, but who even knows? All right, any other notes on this book? No. Okay, well, let's talk about... Um, do you want to talk about Drowned Earth first or um, Witching Hour first? Uh, Drowned Earth. Okay. Justice... D's before W's. Yeah, well, we know the rules here. <laughs> um... <laughs> Justice League, Aquaman, Drowned Earth, yet another shitty titling of an event. <laughs> um, written by James Tynan IV, who I did not realize was going to be the sole writer on this issue. Or at least that's what the cover says. Is there, do the interior mm-hmm. credits? No, I too? think he is. And I, he no, is, I think yeah, it he's... is. And I think that was always intended. I'm pretty sure. I was not aware of that. I'm not, I'm not saying it wasn't. I just, I was not aware of that. Um, actually, can we talk about both these, this and Witching Hour together? Sure. Because because I have, because my sort of main thought about both of them is a similar... They're wordy as fuck? Well, okay. Yes, they are wordy (laughs) as fuck, and that is part of what I wanted to say. But I feel like this issue, the Drowned Earth issue, does a much better job of doling out information conversationally even though it's it's still clunky as shit in parts, like Mira and various people are are talking and just like dumping information on you. But I don't know if there was any more frustrating part of reading comics this week than that like entirely it's like four or five pages 
in the witching hour of just narration about what was going on with Hecate before, like in the various pantheons of gods. It was so fucking boring and it brought nothing to the issue. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. 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 Am I wrong Um, in that being really annoying? No, you're not. Um, Which I have a question about that. Do you think... Do you think this is the way they want to be telling these stories? No. Do you? Yeah, do you think they want these oversized issues like this? That's an interesting question. No, that's a very good point, Zach. I'm so glad you brought that up. Um because something I wasn't going to I wasn't going to make the the logical leap that you did, but I think it's I think it's you're correct. When I got to the page in this issue where like Ocean Master shows up again for the third time. <laughs> yeah, I thought like this is just shit we've already seen. And then I thought like in my mind, I was thinking like, are there del- was there like a delay, or did not everybody get the mem, or do they just think people aren't going to read every part of this? But what you say, Zach, I think rings rings truer than that, which is that this feels like a mandate from DC to maybe pack the page count a little and up the price a little. Mm-hmm. Does that is that what you're getting at? I feel like it, yeah. I could see that, but I also think then you just got to be a better writer. Well, there's a way to do it, yeah. But there is, but, you know. Well, yeah, and I mean, maybe... uh, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, is there, though? Because, I mean, like, say you've got five issues worth of story... And then you're mandated that two of those issues have to be oversized. I mean, call me a 90s kid or whatever. I would rather have had in this Witching Hour issue or in the Drowned Earth issue like a 10-page really bombastic battle sequence than have Mm -hmm. the word dumpage that we got. That's a good point. Like, There's nothing easier for a writer... To just be like epic shit here, and there's a lot of that. I mean, like especially I think like in both books, but I think especially Witching Hour. Um, and I will say I think of even though I think it's the word dumpiest or the more word dumpy of the two issues, like that Hecate section in the middle is kind of egregious. Um, artistically it's just so interesting the things that are happening on the page um it's very trippy i i appreciated that hecate section just because of like how weird it was in some places um and like there's that page um actually it's kind of it's like three pages um, I'm looking at starting at like page 25 in our pdf where like diana's with the like two younger aspects and then there's like the crone inverted into diana's like a close-up on her face and then you go a couple of pages and you have that weird like pentagram page like it's all really interesting the layouts visually. are very well done 
Yeah, the layouts are really good. The design is really good. Um, we should mention, by the way, that um, this issue was the Witching Hour issue was written by Tynion, illustrated by Jesus Marino, Fernando Blanco, and Miguel Mendonca. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the a lot of the plot stuff is really interesting and solid. It's just. Yeah. No. Like I, I think yeah. I think these are I think these are not bad events. I think I think the way that we're talking about them right now makes makes it sound like we, you know, hate them or like totally trashing them or something. It's just that like there, there's there's a lot that's good in here and there's a lot that's exciting that's happening with these Justice League books, and then it gets bogged down in the execution a little. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, well, like what I was going to say about the Witching Hour was that the corner of the DC universe that this book takes place in is pretty in pretty sizably shaken up at the end of this issue. Like Swamp yeah. Thing, no, there, there's there's now a parliament of plants and, you know, a parliament of flowers. Flowers. Rather, instead of the parliament yeah. of, of trees. And, you know, there's a, uh, there's a really nice, um, you know, bit about sort of Cersei as being like the new big bad of magic at the end of it, and Constantine mm-hmm. has cancer again, and yeah, Nanda Parbat seems to be like replaced by this Necropolis with this giant death demon thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's I mean, it's really cool, but yeah, I... we. I mean, we get um, um, Black Orchid and. Manitow Dawn, like, folded back in, potentially. Right, and I, I feel like Justice League Dark and those books are in a better place because of this, or at least a more interesting place because of this crossover. And it seems mm-hmm. like the events of this crossover will affect this book for the long haul. And that's really good. That That's the way a crossover, that's the way a good crossover that is supposed to be you know, universe shaking. That's how it should end up with with real stakes that matter and feel earned. So good for this book in that regard. But I, I said this the last time we talked about one of these issues. I just feel like Tynion went through all this trouble in his head to build these mythologies up, but they ultimately don't matter. And I don't think the book is any better because of that stuff. Nor do I think it would have been any worse without that stuff. I think I think it's maybe a little unfair to say that they don't matter because there's still places he could take them. Like this is it's very much okay, but like foundational. But let's talk about that whole Hecate sequence, right? The big yeah. takeaway from that is that, like, the whole thing with the two younger versions and all of that. And all that is wrapped up by the end of the issue. That's stuff I don't think that really can be explored again. And so you're just you're just wasting like seven or eight pages to get to a place where you can wrap it all up in a few, you know, by the end of the issue. That's not stuff that can be explored later with any real interest to me. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but right. I, I think. I mean, I think that's fair. I do. I mean, I think it's. Tiny could definitely bring those characters back in any way, um, for sure. But that's a good point about it. Is it worthwhile or interesting? Yeah. Um, 
going back over to Drowned Earth for a second, you know, we've talked about in the past there being a sense of uh, catastrophe fatigue when it comes to these type of books, where it seems like the Earth is always in the worst peril it could possibly be in. Um, and this is certainly no different in that regard. Uh, this is about as catastrophic an event as the Earth could have. But for some reason, this feels different than prior events. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah. Um, sorry, were you talking about Drowned Earth Drowned or Earth. Witching Drowned Hour? Earth. I don't think it feels that different. Really? Yeah. Vince, why do you think it feels I, different? I was, less inter- I was less interested in Drowned Earth than Witching Hour, at least this week. Vince, why do you think it feels different? Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. I really don't. I just, it just it just does to me. Like I I don't I don't know. I don't I don't feel that fatigue. I have a I have a really practical reason for it and I don't know if it's Well, why don't you fucking say it then? Because I didn't know because you've been quiet. <laughs> I wanted to include my co-host in the show. <laughs> Jesus, I'll never ask for your opinion again. Uh it's probably just about Pokémon or some shit anyway. Um <laughs> Ooh, sick burn. Yeah. <laughs> Last time I share my Paul McCartney facts with you before the show. Um <laughs> Dip doodle. Uh gonna shape grandma's doodle. Yeah. <laughs> I quit playing with your doodle. Um <laughs> I feel like in all of these events there's always this um this promise of bad shit happening to people. And we see the people that the Justice League care about put in this danger that they are in, they are pulled out of at the last second. In this, we're seeing bad stuff happening. Like we see Jim Gordon changed into a sea creature or whatever. But there's the implication there that like, yes, this happened, but we're going to we're gonna correct this. And I feel like it's usually more preventative than corrective with these sorts of events. And I don't know why that I don't know if that's a big difference, but it, to me it, it it tonally makes a difference. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> What's that? Oh, uh, Vince's response. <laughs> oh, I just, I think you're right, Brian. I'm I'm saying yes. You're right. Well said. Sure. Okay. All right. Well, let's um, let's continue our trek through this week's comics. And uh, this is my way of stalling while I remember what we're talking about next. Uh, is it the Wildstorm? Are we there already? Um. Yeah. I think we are. Wow. Okay. The Wildstorm number eighteen, written by Warren Ellis, illustrated by John Davis Hunt. Zach, you're the one who who advocated for talking about this one, so why don't you start off this conversation? Um, This issue whips. (laughs) (laughs) It gave me whiplash. Is that this character's name? (laughs) Is that his name? I could 
I could hear your giddiness states away when the name when the word authority was name dropped in this issue. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And don't forget my new fifty two fave. I know he's not just from the new fifty two, but uh, Hellspawn. <laughs> oh, you mean Doctor Wiley? <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh man. Um, <laughs> no, this uh, stupid sexy Jack Hawksmore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, what else? He um, yeah, no, this issue was just really great. It was a good end to the penultimate arc, I guess. Um, uh, it's kind of it. This this issue was really interesting because it was the culmination of kind of all the things we've been expecting, with like the authority getting together. Michael Cray gets folded back in. I think this is the first time he's been in the book since his miniseries started. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, I think Brian kind of called it too when we talked about the last issue of Michael Cray. Because I, Brian, I think you were the one who was like, "I wonder how he's going to get folded back into Wildstorm." Mm-hmm. And I think I won't speak for Zach, but I, I think I was a little skeptical that he even would. You know, it seems to me like this is just such a uh, Warren Ellis puzzle. That he's not going to leave mm-hmm. pieces off the table. Yeah, and and it's really interesting how this issue kind of acts as like this reestablishing for like a lot of the characters. You know, we get like I said, the authority. Michael Cray comes back in, but then we also kind of get that definitive shot the of Wildcats, I, the Wildcats team. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. who have kind of been a little bit more on the back burner. Um, yeah, it's a great image. It is really great. Um, yeah, I thought this issue was just like kind of low key masterful. Mm hmm. Well uh, and said, I, man. Yeah. And I always look forward to whatever the kind of like John Davis Hunt no dialogue segment is going to yes. be. And this issue was pretty awesome. The, the fight between uh, Lynch and the whip guy. Yeah. Yeah. Slayton. Um, yeah, that was pretty great. And uh, I was going to say, uh, I'm, I'm, how many people in this issue vowed to kill Miles Craven? <laughs> That's a good question. It's such a good. That's. I love uh, Warren Ellis is so good at um, I don't even really know how to say it like th- like that is almost an aspect of Miles Craven's character at this point. Yes, that he's kind of the loser. I don't know if that's how it's going to be in the end, but like. You know, she she opens the issue calling him weak. Right. Mm-hmm. And and you, you kind of realize that. Maybe you didn't realize it as you were reading these 18 issues, but the sum the sum of all the parts and what results in this issue is you realizing like, oh, holy shit, like in this secret war, he's actually getting his ass kicked, yeah. you know, and that's such like a care, a deep character thing that you don't necessarily think about as it's happening. But when you stop to consider 
you know, what seemed like maybe a generic uh, tech CEO asshole is something a little bit more, there's a little bit more depth there than, than you maybe thought, you know? I think it's also fun because that's the kind of guy who walks around, you know, I mean, you know, let's, let's pretend he's Elon Musk for a second, right? He's a guy who walks (laughs) around thinking that he's the king of the world, but, it's always clear that those guys are never as great as they think they are. But this is like taking that to a whole new extreme where he thinks he's winning this war, but everyone around him knows, oh, no, dude, you know, you're just you're just smoking weed on Joe Rogan's podcast. <laughs> Very badly, might yeah. I add. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, this issue was really fun. And I, I'm consistently. Imp- it's funny. I shouldn't be impressed with Warren Ellis at this point, right? Because Warren Ellis has, has nothing to prove to anyone, and is is a a well recognized master of comics writing. And yet, every issue of this, I'm like, I find myself saying, like, God damn, Warren Ellis can write. <laughs> it's just so well paced and so well considered. And there's just there's nothing about this book right now that isn't firing on all cylinders. And it was a slow burn to get here. It was not, you know, I think we all expected to be at this point, maybe four or five issues into the book. In terms of the overall machinations of what of the war coming together. But it took, you know, 18 issues to get to this point. But now we have such, I mean, really, it took almost, it took 26 issues to get to this point, or 28 issues, or 30, whatever it is, with Michael Cray added in, because Mm -hmm. we now have this really complete picture of the world, and really well-defined characters that make the stakes so much higher, and make the reveals so much more uh, meaningful. It's just, it's really a masterfully told story. It really is. And yeah, and it doesn't feel like it's been time wasted. No, not at all. Yeah. Anything else to add? Mm -hmm. No. All right. Well, let's take a break and we'll be back with our rapid fire discussions after this. Hello, my name is Alice W. Castle, and I host Force Ghost Coast to Coast on the Multiverse Podcast Network. Each episode, we discuss all the news from the galaxy far, far away, from movies to comics to novels to TV to games and everything in between. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts. Come join us next time, and may the Force be with you. And we're back with our rapid-fire reviews. Before we get to those... uh... This week, the Terrifics Annual is on the good list. Gene Lu and Yang does some nice work in that book in particular. And um, the Teen Titans Walmart special, whatever it's called, is on the bad list. Because that is a bad, bad, boring comic. But uh, we have a couple books we're going to sort of rapid fire here. And uh, just seeing what Vince sent us in the chat... (laughs) And the first up is Batman Secret Files, number one, 
which off air we established is neither secret nor has any files. <laughs> um, and I'm skeptical that there's actually Batman in this. Too. Uh, should we just do real quick hits on the three stories or whatever it is in this book? Is it four stories? Three? It's definitely at least three, maybe four. So the first one is a Tom King, Michael Janine joint where Superman gives Batman a piece of platinum kryptonite, which will give him Superman's (laughs) powers. And then Batman's hand hurts too much to drink tea. Little tea, sir. Um, yes, yeah, and bad. also the the whole story is three pages. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Am I enough, Alfred? Platinum soup, platinum kryptonite's a dumb idea. It is. I don't think that's true. I also just don't, I don't think. think... It... Oh, go ahead, Vince. Oh. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I don't think Superman would do this. No, no of course not. No. Again, like... I agree with that. Yeah. I think um, platinum kryptonite as a concept is as fine as any other kind of kryptonite. I feel like... I, think... I feel like there's, there's obviously, you know, precedent for red kryptonite and uh, black kryptonite. Whatever, all those, uh, you know, just blue and gold and pink and yes, but those are all colors. Those are all like regular colors. Platinum is like Tom. Oh, I feel like this is at our most at our most oh, pedantic right now. But this is Tom King being like, "What's the ultimate? Platinum is the ultimate. It's platinum. It is the ultimate. Hold on a minute." Platinum is a color. Yeah, but it's the same as it was the, it's the same as it's very similar to many other colors. This is it was the color of my Game Boy Advance SP. Okay. So so you're so you're saying you you wish it called it like silver sure, kryptonite. Sure, this is like having rose gold kryptonite. Okay, or uh... which is I mean, I see what you're saying. It, I feel like I feel cheesy. like you can have any color of kryptonite. Seafoam green. <laughs> Hell yeah! I'd be I'd be down for that. Okay, but let's move on from this piece of shit. Um, wait, 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 I'll, wait! I don't want to move on from this just yet, though. From the Tom King because I have, I, yeah, so right. I have I have I have a point to make that I want to get in before okay. we move on. You know what this feels like to me, and it probably explains why maybe they put it in the secret files uh, comic. You know the opening arc of Tom King's Batman uh-huh. where you had Gotham Girl and Gotham Guy or whatever yes. the fuck his Gotham name guy. was? Oh, I wish dude. his name was Gotham Guy. <laughs> Gotham Bro. I think his name was actually just Gotham. Gotham bro. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. Gotham Bro. Yeah. Does this not – and plus that opening – was that opening arc drawn by Janine or was it – It was Finch. It was Finch, yeah. <sighs> Because what this feels like to me is it feels like a leftover scene from that opening arc where you've got these essentially they call themselves Gotham Girl and Gotham, Bro. but they're but they're like Batman and Superman combined. They're like Gotham heroes with Superman's abilities, basically. And there was a little something in there about like we're we're 
we're better heroes because we have superpowers. We're better than Batman or Batman. Batman is mortal in some way. Remember he was like worried about dying. Does this just not feel like a leftover scrap from that storyline where it's like Batman considers for a couple pages becoming super, super powered himself. Sure. This feels like it feels like it's leftover shit from two years ago. I mean, it's certainly shit. It would not surprise me if Michael, if Janin drew this two years ago or something. I thought you were going to say this was going to explain like how God, I, I forgot if they actually explained how Gotham and Gotham were about their powers. Yeah. That was a whole like cross rebirth storyline. Like, like there were hints of that in other books, like new Superman and stuff. Yeah. I've already forgotten all that. <laughs> Um, so, so, uh, well, so, you're the bad boy of the DC yeah. three. So of the other stories, I know Zach, you are particularly a fan of the art of one of them, right? Yeah. The second one, I believe, um, uh, it was il- illustrated by, I believe Jorge Fornes or Forns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not familiar with them. I'm also not familiar with Ram V, the writer. Ram V is um, doing uh, a book, I believe, both at Vault and at Image right now. Interesting. Okay, um, but yeah, the I thought the story was just like fine, but the, the art was great. It kind of reminded me of uh, I don't know. I'm really having. A, there's like definitely some Mazzuccelli in there. Uh-huh. Um, some David Aja as well. Yeah, the Matt Wilson color uh, colors don't hurt. Yeah, for that. absolutely. They don't hurt. You're right. They don't hurt for that. But I think even the art, like some of the panels, like particularly some of the like farther like not close-up panels like there's actually like the second to last panel where like bruce and that doctor are just looking at the the cell door mm-hmm. that like that scene just like very detailed figures yeah that art was very good yes yeah uh, i want to see more of this his batman is really interesting the man bat yeah was really good too yeah like yeah, this is just really, really solid art. This it reminds me of um, somebody Rucka's worked with before. Michael Lark. Maybe. I kind of got that vibe. Um, yeah. I also wanted to say that the next story had art by Elena Casagrande of the recently discussed in our text thread, uh, South uh, Vigilante Southland. Um, <laughs> oh, but I thought, I, I thought wow. that one looks pretty good too, actually. Yeah, it, it does look pretty good. A very live Batman. Um, yeah, not as as muscular as he tends to be in some other stories. And then, and then, and then the the fourth story is the uh, skiing Batman, written by Jordi Belair, colorist Jordi Belair. Um, illustrated by Jill Thompson. Yeah. surprisingly. Yeah. Um, I thought very much almost kind of channeling like a Steve Dillon vibe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, her art has been looking more like that over the years. Um, going going back to like her Wonder Woman stuff, her early Wonder Woman stuff, like eighties or whenever that was. Yeah, d- didn't look like this so much. But her more recent stuff, when she pops up, yeah, you're, Dylan, that's a good that call. Is a very yeah. good call. And then I have to say, I love the Detective Chimp appearance, and that Tom Taylor written. Brad Walker illustrated last uh, story was not fantastic, but it was still pretty fun. Mm. Yeah. I, I think, I think the Tom King one was like my least favorite, obviously big, big surprise there. And I think all the rest of them were okay, but none of them were like truly outstanding. The, the art on that one is really great. The Jorge Fornes one, the, the story was really interesting, but I felt it was a little. It kind of, it kind of, actually, all these other stories kind of hammered their their main point. Yes. A little too hard. Over and over again, you know. Yeah. There's like an interesting story there, but they, but again, God, I feel like I'm just saying the same thing that I said about like uh, those event comics. There's very interesting stories there with just too much, you know, whether it's a combination of dialogue and narration that feels repetitive or or what. It's just a little too much exposition or I don't know what. Yeah, I, I think you're definitely correct there. I did notice one thing in that Tom King story. Tom King or Tom that Taylor? That second page. Tom King. Okay. That second page is like directly referencing the church issue. Oh yeah. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yep. So it couldn't be. I mean, the unless, concept unless he, still stands. The now, concept, you're definitely right. Unless he's got, unless he's got, uh, you know, his hundred issue run all totally planned. Maybe he and does. He knew. <laughs> he knew. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, you're definitely your point still definitely stands, but I did just notice that, which like you know that could have just been added in. That's yeah, who knows? Too, yeah. I, I'm not claiming to make any like, like I don't know anything about how this came about, but it could just be a thematic link. But it just felt to me like, you know, th- this came out of nowhere. I don't understand if you're talking about like where Bruce's mind is right now in the bat books, this it's feels, not here. Yeah. yeah. Feels like it comes from a different place. But, yeah. And I guess there could be a point that could be made that like the, am I enough is the question of every arc in this book. Like that's sort of Tom King's Batman thesis just boiled down to its most basic form. Right. Mm-hmm. Am I enough for Catwoman? Am I enough for, you know, for Gotham? Am I enough as a mortal? There's like a million things that, that could be, you know, taken from there, but it doesn't make it any more interesting in the short term. Right. I was talking about the Batman uh, Walmart giant, the second issue of the Brian Bendis, Nick Darrington arc. Zach, you wanted to talk about the, oh, sorry, Vince. This is the one you really wanted to talk about. So you you start us off here. Yeah, um, this book has no business being this great. Oh my god, 
uh, first of all, this is the best book Bendis is doing at DC. This is one of the best books DC is publishing. This is crazy good, you guys. It is very like, good. We, even, even when Bendis is doing his Bendis bullshit, it's so good. Like, Bat, like Batman coming into town and then saying to himself, I love, I small, love towns. small towns. Yeah. After, <laughs> after this lady is like, kiss my grits or whatever. Um, Let's see. What his else? Riddler is kind of endearing. Yep. Yep. It's it's not the stupid sexy Riddler anymore. It's not. <laughs> um the uh I'm trying to there, there was like another There was another great Batman line. If you oh, see something say something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Yep. I like how Ginny Hex essentially is what's her name from uh Doom Patrol though. Like looks wise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, that's fine. Yeah. Um, it's so fun that she's showing up here. Yes. Um, that's the other th- great thing about this issue. She shows up. Deathstroke shows up and is used in a fun way. Green Arrow, Green Arrow shows, shows up. up. Yeah. That's what these freaking Walmart books should be. If you're going to do a story that's pitched to like the normie readers out there, uh, who are going to maybe see this on a stand at, at Walmart. Wouldn't you want to read a bat book where you feel like anybody could show up at any time? I don't know. I kind of yes. want a really sad Superman comic. Oh, <laughs> about dying kids. <laughs> well played, you asshole. <laughs> so good. Uh... Oh, the... The Alfred line. That's one of the best lines Bendis has written in I don't know how long. Which one is it? Where he says, where he says Deathstroke is a mercenary and assassin who uses 90% of his brain power. And Bruce says, I know. And he says, just reminding you because I believe you use far less. <laughs> I, get the imp- I get the impression that Bendis writes Alfred like, um, I forgot the character's name from Arthur. Like the, uh, <laughs> the old butler who just insults Arthur yeah. the whole time. Yeah. Um, yeah. You want me to wash your dick, you little shit? That that sort of stuff, you know. <laughs> Which is great. <laughs> yeah, this is good. Bendis is good, guys. He's he's good. He's back. He's yeah. good again. Owl. Bendis is coming. Yeah. Bendis came. Bendis came all over us. Hey now. <laughs> You're the one who made it weird. Let's. Yes, I am the one who made it weird. (laughs) Yes. All right. Next up is Doom Patrol number twelve, the best book DC is publishing according to one third of this podcast. Shut up! I hate you. Written by Gerard Way, Nick Darrington, and Jeffrey Lambert. Illustrated by Dan McDade. Um. This this issue did not need to wait eight months to come out. It does not feel weighty enough. And I know that that's not... I know it wasn't planned to be this long break between issues, but this does not feel like the epic conclusion to this storyline we've been waiting for. Because it's not. It's really a... It's really... It's it's not. It's a bridge between 
the end of the second arc of Doom Patrol and Milk Wars, but Milk Wars came out six months ago. <laughs> I, uh, I'm interested to see, you know, it wasn't in our PDS. I'm interested to see if in the print issue, if there's any kind of, um, you know, any of letter or anything from Way about anything. Oh, or yeah. Or this is just going to be... This is just being put out. That's a good call because he usually did those like back matter letters to the to the reader. Mm-hmm. I bet there will be. I bet there will. We'll be. find out in a couple days. I kind of. I mean, I really feel like if there is or isn't is very indicative about like the future of Young Animal. That's true. Yeah. I do but, feel like it, I, one other interesting thing about this is that this the story about Lucius and his family had kind of been it wasn't just with Milk Wars but it had kind of been running through the story at a very slow pace from the very beginning right, right? Yeah. and you always felt like they were going to intersect in some way and they did but it was funny that in the way that they intersect intersected was like they show up during the Milk Wars stuff, and then they're there for, like, an issue or two, and then they're like, we'll catch back up with you down the road, and then they, like, disappear, mm-hmm. right? Isn't that, isn't that how it went? Yep. It felt, it feels like there was more there that, that Gerard Wade didn't get a chance to to explore. And maybe, right. maybe this yeah. was it, but it kind of doesn't feel like it, right? It, it, it doesn't. It almost feels like, I mean... You could have maybe expected, like, and not that I would have necessarily wanted this, but, like, an arc with these characters doing a thing. But, I mean, this sets up for more things with them. And they are they are interesting characters, and this is, this is a fun issue. It's just very different from the rest of the book. So, I don't disagree this isn't a fun issue or any of that. I think this is, this is a lot of fun. I'm kind of surprised, though, if this is all that was... If this was always the plan for number 12, I'm kind of surprised this wasn't just included in a collection versus being sold on its own. Yeah. Right? Doesn't that feel kind of the the right move here? Maybe, yeah. I mean, I guess they make more money by doing it, uh, selling it as a single issue as well. You know, there will be people who will buy it, potentially. Um. Although I guess it could make the trade more attractive. Yeah. I don't know. That's a good point. Yeah, this is weird. It is. Anytime I like something a lot, something weird <laughs> happens immediately after. So That's true. I, fe- I felt that way when Dial H happened, so I, I sympathize, my dude. Yep. Just wait for that sweet Sam Humphreys Dial H volume 2. Oh, hell yeah. All right. Let's talk about Hex Wives, number one, written by Ben Blacker, illustrated by Mirka Andolfo. Um, Multiversity just had an interview with his team the other day that went up. Um, nice. Yeah. Which our pal Jess Camacho did at New York Comic Con. So, um,. This is a very much a a story about witches, but making it a more um, 
you know, updating it. For, I hate to say for the 21st century because that makes it sound like something that it's not. <laughs> but you know, it's um, it's it's an updated witch story. It's a story sort of about reincarnation and destiny and a family of witch hunters and a family of witch and, and a group of witches. And I think it's it's a pretty fun first issue. What did you guys think? Yeah, I um, I. I thought this is a really winning premise, I think. I think this is a great example, not to not to shit on Witching Hour or anything, um, but it's a great example of how to build a backstory or or deliver that backstory to the reader. And it's not it's just coincidence that these are both about witches or powers, you know. Um or magic, I should say. Um but it's it's a way to deliver that backstory while you're still having characters saying and doing interesting things, right? So like the issue the issue opens on the whole Salem witch trials era type stuff. And but but it's immediately full of action and the dialogue is limited to what you need to know, right? Then it shows you the next area it wants, the next era it wants to focus on. Then it goes a little bit further in the future, and you kind of you get a sense of what it's about by just the way that these mini stories play out in these different eras. And then you get to what I assume is going to be the present uh, time of the book, or the the current the you know whatever whatever time period the book is going to be in for the most part in the second half of the book. And then you're good to go, and you're on with your story, and and it's you're not bogged down in too much um, exposition or anything like that. Um, the dialogue is a lot of fun in this. Uh, this has been Blacker, right? Yes. Um, really nice ear for dialogue, and willing to. I thought some of the fun stuff about the the Salem witch trials part was they all spoke in the you know, supposed lingo of the time. <laughs> so an asshole now and then. <laughs> yes, but yes, but there, yeah. Uh, uh, you must be japing my ass. <laughs> one of them says at one point. So it's like, he's willing to spice up the dialogue with, with words that were probably not era appropriate mixed in with other language that really was. And who gives a shit because this is fiction, right? Yeah. right? It made for a it made for a spicy dialogue. It was really fun to read. And then you've got the kind of the the Stepford Wives stuff in the second half of the book, where the dialogue's a little more stilted because of how they're supposed to be. You know, they're essentially this is a control mechanism uh, to keep these women in line, right? Yeah. Um, and so they speak in this very like. Uh, Stepford Manor, and as soon as she smashes a glass, she has to call her husband and and uh, apologize or whatever. And she says, "I'm being silly," is all, which sounds like a thing that a 1950s housewife would say in a movie set in the 1950s, right? Yeah. Uh, so across this whole book, you've got all these different eras with different lingo, and it all feels appropriate, but it's also entertaining. Um, and it's also socially relevant, of course, and all that fun stuff. I'm sure it pisses off all the right people. Um, and it's got 
terrific Mirka Andolfo art. So, Zach, what did you think of this? I I thought it was mostly fine. I definitely like agree. I, at first, I was a little like put off by the structure. But I do think that it's much better than if, you know, the first issue had ended maybe with the, um, you know, kind of that, like, reveal of, like, the guy who had the plan. You know, that was, like, a very, very, like, comic, tropey ending to an issue. Yes. <laughs> where like evil guy smiles at the camera and does it and, and says something ominous. Yeah. Um, but then you're the story t- you're continues. talking about before they jump. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Before they jump the three years. Um, and the fact that like the story continued on, we got more of this like premise, more of setup for kind of like what the story is going to be. Um, and I think you're like spot on with the, the dialogue being really good and like setting the tone. Um, I wasn't blown away by this, but I'm intrigued by it. Yeah. It's not on that. It's not on that border town level where like right. every element of it just works. Um, like border town when that, when that shows up, I can't put it down. But I'm definitely in for the next issue of this one. Yeah. Um, I think that with all these Vertigo relaunch titles, what I'm looking for is just the potential to be interested 10 issues down the road. Because I feel like with a lot of the Vertigo relaunches of late, they've all seemed very much like miniseries to me. Whereas this is a book that I think could play out over a longer period of time, and I want to keep reading it. And I think there's a lot of interesting stories that can be told here. And I think I had read, maybe even in the, in the interview we just published, that in between arcs they're going to have guest artists come in and focus on particular like moments in their histories. And that's mm. super fun. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm excited for this book. Is this the second or third new Vertigo book we've gotten so far? Border Town... I want to say we've gotten one more. I right? want to say so too, but now I can't. Or are we or are we just thinking of the Sandman universe ones? Well, I also I did an advanced review of American Carnage. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I should know that. Um, so maybe I'm confusing that too. But I thought we got one more. I'm looking it up now. No, I don't. No, I don't think we did. I don't think we did. Let's see here. The Vertigo relaunch titles are Lucifer. I guess that's I'll leave Sam Universe out of it. Uh, Second Coming we haven't seen yet. American Carnage is next month. Uh, High Level is February. Border Town we got. Goddess Mode I think is December. Hex Wives is right now. I don't know when Safe Sex is coming out. And that's it. So yeah, I guess not. But I, I think they I think they're two for two as far as first issues are concerned. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, 
Is that it for us tonight? That's um, it. Uh, terrific. Oh, that that, that, we want to talk that about made terrific? the good list, remember? Oh, yeah, you're right. I forgot we moved it. We had it in both do, places. Do you want to talk about it? No, not really. Okay. <laughs> well, do we want to talk about next you week? You know what next week is, boys? Oh, from Glasgow. <laughs> His favorite son. Grant. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I didn't realize how soon it was. Zach, you got to get lubed up, boy. Oh, my goodness. I'm not even ready. You got to go read his entire uh, back ethic. <laughs> I have been really wanting to do that recently. Um, I was, you know, waiting for the Patreon was, and everything. I was going for the uh... Patreon. You know he's gonna include some shit in there that he like from his DC comics oh, from like twenty he, years ago. Oh, he always does. There's gonna be yeah. some Animal Man bullshit in there that uh, <laughs> we're all gonna have forgotten about. Wanna Beast is gonna be uh, yeah. feature heavily. Um, no, I can't. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. So in addition to the Green Lantern, we have. Is there anything I else? Mean, technically, I mean, there's Border Town. There's Border Town. That is, that's. There's also Batman. There's also Batman. Uh, Justice League, Deathstroke, Super Sons, Nightwing, the Sideways Annual, Brimstone. Double Grant Morrison next week. Double Grant! Oh my god. Double Grant. Who'd have thunk it? Did what? I, oh man, unexpected. Is it the unexpected, yes. or it was just unexpected? Both, both of those. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, do you guys think we're gonna get? Oh no, never mind. Say it. There's this. There's this very DC Rebirth holiday sequel. It's 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 a collection. It's not. It is a collection. Yeah. Yep. I didn't. I didn't realize that. I think I I think that means I accidentally bought it on uh, DCBS and didn't oh, mean to. Oh my goodness! Uh, <laughs> Don't want that. You, you know what's think, think think of a contest so we can give that away. <laughs> you know what's just as exciting as uh, the Green Lantern? Suicide Squad Black Fucking Files. A. Number one. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's doing another one of those. They aren't are. They? they are with. With like very similar creative and teams, very I similar see. like uh, character lineups as well. They could pu- to be honest, they could publish the exact same stories again, and I, I would, would have not no know. idea. I'd be totally in the dark about it. Um, <laughs> and I read that. Yeah, what's funny is that the Black Files will run longer. Th- will be running after the regular series is wrapped up. Yep, of course. Coming coming this time next year before they relaunch Suicide Squad is uh, Suicide Squad Platinum Files by Tom King. <laughs> I just want to be enough for my daughter, <laughs> who I haven't seen, and need Batman to rescue for me. I just want to, I just want my kids back. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> the Deathstroke is almost dead. Not He's Deathstroke, almost dead. Dead shot. Dead, dead shot. Well, to be honest, Deathstroke, Deathstroke is too. Yeah, but we're talking about Deadshot in particular here. Yeah. So, Deathstroke is more like Ice the Bounty Hunter. 
What other characters from DC Comics are like Arrested? Well, just like second tier Arrested Development characters. Um, All right. Who has a prosthetic limb that can be Jay Walter Weatherman? (laughs) Cyborg. (laughs) That's why you always leave a note. Something, something, booyah. Uh, yeah. Who's Mr. F? No, <laughs> oh, I don't, don't want to say. <laughs> I'm not going to touch that one. Uh, you're probably wise to. Anyway, if you're you know Mr. who Mr. F is, you can tweet at Zach and I to tell us who it is. I am at Brian is an app. And I'm at Walker Fox. If you need Vince, uh, just pay for an advertisement on some wisconsin-based sports teams broadcast <laughs> vince will watch it very rapidly and then be very disappointed by it in the end yep and uh, fs1 wisconsin yeah there you go and uh until next time get that green lantern type voice Were they uh, donking their blonkers? Yeah, exactly. <laughs>